Well, if you're new today, and uh, see a few faces that are familiar, not familiar and a few faces that are brand new, I just want to make sure that everybody has uh, one of these worship guides. You'll need one of these. And if you don't, just put your hand up, and we'll make sure that somebody comes around and delivers one of these to you. It's the worship guide. It has our Connect card in it, and it has also some questions inside there that we're going to go through in the message today. So make sure you get a hold of that. That'll be useful for you, good for all of us as well. It has been a very intentional journey since the very beginning of the year here as to what we have planned with the Simonic year as we're preaching and sharing the word with you every single Sabbath here. Uh, I don't know if you realize that, but we've been on this particular journey where we started off with prophets and kings in January, and we were talking about leadership, and we're talking about vision, and we're talking about the possibilities of change and the dynamics of change that are taking place all the time inside there. Then we, we talked about the tail that wags a dog. You remember that message? Where we talked about how the local church influences the entire global church. And everything that we do here is really essential for us and very important for us, but also important for the entire global church as well. And then we had a series on the art of manliness and Tom Eichmann and Jim Christensen and myself, and we shared that about being able to surrender and engage and also being able to lead and then giving all to what God has called you to. And that led us straight into the book of Galatians that we just finished up not too long ago. Uh, and we looked at the idea of Christ alone. And everything is embedded in Christ. And so therefore, we may be one in order to bring one. And that was a challenge that we laid out to you. And then last weekend, it was crazy. It was just crazy. If you were here last weekend and enjoyed Friday night and Sabbath morning and Sabbath afternoon, and then if some of you came off and joined us on Monday as well, you would have heard Lawrence Turner through the Sanitus Lectureship, our, our very first one, explaining to us how our imagination combined together with the Word of God in what he described as 78% of the Bible, the First Testament, just comes to life with so many great insights as to who God is and transforms your life as well, and encouraged us really seriously to use our imagination when we're reading the Scripture. Now, all of these messages are online, so you can go to iTunes, and, uh, and you can look there, and you can just type in Boulder Church on iTunes and discover that you can pull up an audio podcast and a video podcast. But some of you are thinking, well, I like the message, I like listening to it or reading it, but I'd love to have those questions as well that are inside the worship guide. Well, we place them online as well, and they're on the website, and our website's very complicated website. This is the URL. Are you ready for this? Boulder.church. I know, it's hard to remember, but if you can remember, church, Boulder. You'll probably find us, so boulder.church, and you could go there, look under Sermon Series, and you'll be able to do that as well. Now, if you want to know where we're going for the future, uh, and we are about to present all of this on Tuesday night, what's happening Tuesday night? What's the one thing everybody's supposed to remember? It's inside your worship guide. Yeah, I know, it's a terrible title, isn't it? Business meeting. Sounds very much like we're doing business only. Well, no, it's church in everybody's invited to come along and talk about the vision of the church. We're going to vote the budget as well and the finances for next year. And we're going to share some of the vision that we have. And we're going to share the preaching plan and the text that we're going to cover over the next 18 months. So if you want to get an insight into where we're going, then come and join us on Tuesday night, uh, 7 o'clock, and I'll encourage you to be there as well. But next week, next week we begin our summer series, and we're going to have this series beginning with Pastor Lai, where it's resisting, res resisting restlessness. Too many S's inside there, but resisting restlessness. I'm very excited about this. Three weeks, he's going to explore the Sabbath in an entirely new paradigm. And I want to encourage you to plan to be part of this three-week series that starts next Sabbath, Resisting Restlessness. But today, today, 
as part of this build-up since January, thinking all the way through the journey, all the way coming to this point, we, as we just sang, we're going to talk about the silent partner, the one that nobody really talks about, yet influences us every single day, the Holy Spirit. And it's found in Acts chapter 1, verses chapter 1, and through to chapter 2, verse 13. And I put that inside the bulletin. If you're ever looking for the passages, we send out an email. gives you the bulletin of all the news. You can scroll all the way down, get to the middle down there, click on the passage. And Acts chapter 1, verses 2 to chapter 2, verse 13. I encourage you to read those this afternoon. If you haven't read them before, they're the beginning and the birth of something that's going to take place that we're going to be looking at today. I mean, it talks about the kingdom of God. It talks about how to select leadership. It talks about the power to share the gospel, and it's all driven by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have time today to look at the kingdom of God. Believe me, the kingdom of God alone would be one sermon or an entire series or an entire year for us to explore properly. We are going to look at the kingdom of God a little bit better at our next faith forum, which is going to be August 14. That's a Sunday, August 14, and it's going to be our Boulder one-to-one that we're holding here, so I'd encourage you to register for that. Go online, register for that, and join us on Sunday. And one of the messages, we'll be looking at the kingdom of God. But today, I'm going to focus on the leadership, I'm going to focus on the gospel, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to wrestle through this, we're going to engage this, we're going to acknowledge this, we're going to claim all of this, that because of the Holy Spirit, we're able to understand life entirely different than everybody else has before. And the first question we have, and I have tons of questions today, just to let you know in case you're kind of like, whoa, this sermon is going to be an hour long. It's not. It's 58 minutes, and so it's, it's, it's pretty good. You've got plenty of time. We, our goal is to be done by 11 or thereabouts. And so don't worry. You're like, is he serious? Kind of. Um, question number one, imagine... You were one of the disciples, all right, because Lawrence told us this, we should imagine, imagine one of the disciples who saw Jesus and heard him teach in the 40 days following his resurrection. How do you think you would have felt after meeting him? How would you have felt after meeting Jesus if you were one of those that had met him in those 40 days? Would you have kind of like excitement, or would you be kind of charged, or would you be overwhelmed? Or would you be like all of the above mingled together as you're thinking? You just had 40 days with Jesus. He's been talking to you. He's resurrecting. You think to yourself, well, let's see what the Bible says that they felt as well. So in Acts chapter 1, page 628 in the Bibles in the pew, and you're welcome to just grab those Bibles, pull them out. Just as an FYI, you can take those home. You can mark in them. You can put them back in the pew. You can share them with someone. But uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. We'll stay a lot of time inside this here, inside this section, page 628. This is what it says there. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he resurrected, and as a result of the resurrection here, he met with them, and he had to show them many proofs. It wasn't good enough that they just saw him. He did lots of things to prove that who he was was the Messiah, and it was just like it blew their minds. And then it says in verse 4, because they're kind of excited about this, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John, the Bapt- John, the Bapt- John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I don't get that. I mean, your engines are revved. You're on the racetrack. You're ready to go. The light looks green. You should be going, and he's saying, wait, you're standing in the room, and you're, you're all 
decked out, ready for surgery, and uh, somebody comes and says, wait, you are thinking to yourself, I've unwrapped the present, I can see it, but I can't play with it? Wait, this doesn't make any sense at all. And I feel the same way, and maybe you feel the same way, when I go to supermarkets. Do you feel the same way? I do, I do. Like, you know, you go to Whole Foods, or you go to Safeway, or King Supers, or Trader Joe's even, there I say it. I mean, <laughs> the competition's out, all right, I said it. You go to these supermarkets, and you have the kind of anticipation, especially if you follow certain people on Instagram. Now, this week, uh, I was looking at James Christensen on Instagram. You should not do that. Uh, if you do, you'll want to get remarried again, uh, just because the wedding photos are so beautiful, and you think, I should just do that, just again, just so I could have a photo like that. But I was doing that, and he had a picture of a meal that he went to with him and his shah. Fantastic. Now, there's one Instagram account that I try to avoid every day. Did you notice how I said, I try to avoid every day? But I can't. It's life sweetened. Who owns that? Courtney. Courtney owns that. Oh, that account is dangerous. Because when you look at the pictures on there, they're food arranged in ways that you feel like, I should eat that. And, and I feel often that I should, what I, I want to do this someday. I just want to be standing outside that house. And as the picture's posted, ring the bell. I don't think that'd be creepy, would it? I mean, I, I don't think it'd be kind of okay. It'd just ring the bell and say, yeah, you know, that porridge, that oatmeal, it looks so good. So, I mean, try it. Go to Instagram, look up Life Sweetened, and you'll understand the anxiety that I go through all the time. So I go to Whole Foods, I'll go to Safeway, I'll go to Walmart, and I'll be inside there, and I think to myself, I could do the same. I could. I've got all the ingredients. They're just there on the shelves arranged in the wrong order, but they're there. And if I could pull all this together, I could make the meals just like that, and I too could have an incredible Instagram account. Except for, I'd only show you the empty plates, because I would have eaten all of them, and then show you the plates afterwards, and say, it was good. <laughs> but, but, but there are people close to me who say, no, you need to wait. And I'm like, why? because you don't have the ability, the creativity, or the power to cook. And so, <laughs> you know, you need the ability, the creativity, and the power to cook. And I'm like, oh, but I, I'm pretty sure if I just walked in the store, I can see it, I could make that. And they're like, no, we have tasted that. My wife's not here today, because she's up at uh, the graduation uh, for uh, Cassie. Cassie Fazio's graduated, so she's up there at Campion today. And um, so I can say this because she won't go to podcast, <laughs> and you won't tell her, <laughs> right? Well, some of you are already tweeting it. I'm like, Becky, watch out this. Actually, forget it, I won't say it. All right, let's continue. I don't trust you. I don't trust you, you kind of scare me. Okay, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> I have, I mean, I have certain meals that are my favorite meal, and my wife knows how to cook those meals, and they're fantastic, and you know, for special occasions, I want that. But every time it's her birthday or some special anniversary and I want to cook a meal for her, I will offer. I will say, I will go and read a manual. I will learn. I will go to school and I will cook. And I, believe me, I've offered. And sometimes she, she has, when we were first married, allowed me a few of those special moments to prepare something for her. To the effect of that she has designed that I never do that again. And, and so I do not offer anymore, but I still love her. See? I won. 
Oh, now you get it. <laughs> You're like, all the guys are like, I've got to try that too. Yes, it works. Although I really can't cook, so there you go. I can really heat up water very well. Um, but back to this. This is what the story is saying. It's saying you've got to wait because you need the power, you need the ability, you need the creativity. And Jesus says, look, you understood. You've seen. You've seen God. You've heard the story. I've told you everything. And you are raring to go, but you don't have the ability you don't have the creativity, and you don't have the power until the Holy Spirit comes down into your life. And believe me, I am going to lay the Holy Spirit down on you. It says here in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons the Father's fixed by his own authority. This is an important word, authority, but verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying, I don't want you to cook just one meal. I'm not interested in you making one great dinner that you can just post this one picture. I want you to make a chain of individual restaurants, the finest dining that goes around the entire world. And in order to do that, you're not going to do that just by going into King Supers. You're going to need creativity and the ability and the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. So question number two, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit is at work in our life and our church? You see that inside here? What does it look like when the Holy Spirit is at work in our life and our church? And I thought about a word that maybe could carry this and, and what I thought was uh, contagious. Isn't that a good word? When the Holy Spirit's in you, you're contagious. It's not a good word. Uh, it makes me feel like I've got a disease. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to pass this on to you, and it's not going to be good for you. And then I thought, maybe bubbling, when the Holy Spirit is bubbling, but I thought, bubbling is just a little bit. It's just over the top. It's not really spectacular in that kind of way. Then I thought of water, because the water is described in the Bible, right? It's like living streams of water. And I thought, that's a great word. But sometimes I don't want to be wet, or sometimes I want to be dry, so it's not really good. And I eventually decided the word that for me describes what it is to have the Holy Spirit is oxygen, to breathe, to breathe in, to breathe out, to have the power of oxygen in your body, running in your blood, changing the way that we are. We need oxygen. And oxygen gives us life to be able to be creative, to have the abilities, and to have the power to do what God has called us to. Now, Galatians, and this is a test, what did Galatians say? What did Paul say in the book of Galatians, in the letter to Galatians? And I preached this only three weeks ago. Now we're going to find out whether you remember. What did he say is the effect of when you know the Holy Spirit is in your life? I've got plenty of time. Fruits. That's cheating. It does say that. <laughs> it does. It does say fruits. But before you get to the fruit section, the very first thing that he says. What's that? We'll love each other, and we love each other because we actually have the Spirit living in us, and we will call the Father Abba. We will call God our Father. We will actually embrace Him. This is when you know that the Spirit is inside you. It's good. Matt, bonus score point. You will go to heaven first class. All of us are not even in Economy Plus. We're right at the back watching as he travels up front. No, that's true. It's really true. It's actually this incredible, beautiful thing that we have where we're loving. And I think that the best metaphor that I can think of is like dating. But when you're dating, and I, I said this to many couples, when you're dating, it shouldn't be hard. There should be some effort that you put into it. 
But the effort pays off because it's wonderful, because love generates this thing. You shouldn't be like, oh, man, I've got to go see them again. I just can't stand them. I mean, that would be an indicator that maybe you shouldn't be together, right? But when you're like, I can't wait for the next time I get to see them, and the effort that you're going to put into that, that effort is just worthwhile because dating actually has that kind of joy inside you. It's kind of like Red Bull. Have you seen those adverts of Red Bull and Red Bull gives you wings? That's what the Holy Spirit is. He's like Red Bull without the caffeine. Just check in, just check in in case somebody's worried about that. He is, he gives you wings, he makes you fly, he makes you feel like you can conquer the world. And people understand this. Peter Chamberlain, um, he will often come to church, he helps us out during the week, all sorts of things that he's doing here. And then once he's done, he will always say this. This is his, his classic departing sentence. Well, Pastor Japheth, I'm off now to go do my job that pays me so that I can come and volunteer to do this job. I'm like, yeah, 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 stick it to his head. But Peter, great heart. You know that Peter and all, these, all the other people with this church here, this church is built on them. It's built on the sacrifice of the time and the effort that they do inside there. And it's constantly driving us. And this is what Jesus is saying. The Holy Spirit inside you makes you want to do things for the church, for other people. You enjoy doing that. It's all birthed inside the ascension when Jesus goes to heaven. Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 and Daniel 9, and we're going to look at this later on in the fall, around September when we do a whole series on the book of Daniel, all point to the Messiah. Everybody understood it was going to come from Judah and he was going to rule the earth again. And the Romans understood this as well. And the Romans were concerned about this as well. And they wanted to assert that their emperors were just as good as any other theory or idea of a legend or a belief of a leader as well. So they would often build great artifacts to be able to celebrate that when an emperor died, his soul would go to heaven. The Arch of Titus, which is what the Arc de Triomphe in France has been copied off. If you go, it's in the center of Rome, and you go underneath the Arc of Titus, you'll see that there's a carving of Titus himself, and then his transformation as he's been converted into a soul. They would pay slaves. They would bribe slaves. They would basically threaten them where they had to publicly stand up and say, I saw the soul of Titus leave his body and go to heaven. And then they had proof that it was true. Well, along comes Jesus, the promised Messiah of Daniel 2, 7 and 9. Along comes Jesus, and he doesn't have a soul going up to heaven. Along comes Jesus, and he is physical. They can touch him, and they think to themselves, this is different. This is not like the resurrection of Lazarus and the resurrection of Jairus' daughter because Jesus is able to not only be physical, but if he wants to, he can walk through a wall and end up in a room with closed doors. He has the 2.0 version that I want, the recreation that God is offering us. And he says, look, when you see, you saw this idea of Titus, Jesus says, hey, I come along and I'm entirely different. I am the true type. And I'm going to show you what it is to have the ascension. The resurrection was real. And the ascension was the place that transformed Jesus into who he was. But they believed Jesus should have been a soul, that he should have been a spirit that had gone up to heaven. But what the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, and read with me down here in chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. And they were there, gazing into heaven as he went. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him come up to, as you saw him go into heaven. He's promising us that he's going to come back in the physical form that he left. He's gone and he's coming back. 
And the ascension is the promise that he's saying to us, he will be with us forever. Because the Father promised the Holy Spirit would be with you. Nowhere in Acts does it tell you, by the way, that in order to receive the Holy Spirit, they had to spend hours in prayer or hours in worship or hours of begging God to come to them. God said, I am going to drop the Holy Spirit on you. And you will have the choice to accept it or reject it. But if you accept it, it's going to create joy in your life in a way that you can never imagine because I have always been with you. When we looked at Ephesians last year, we remember, we may, you may remember this in Ephesians chapter 1, that Jesus said that he is the head of the entire world. He's in control of everything. Paul says this again in Romans, everything works out to the good for those who follow God. He's connected to everything taking place inside there. And this is not just an idea in the New Testament, the Second Testament, but in the First Testament as well. It's an idea that the Spirit has been active all the time, but came in stronger force with the promise from the Father. There's a little city in, in the First Testament called Dothan. And I bring this up because we've mentioned it here, uh, here, and we've also mentioned it in our Bible study that we have on Tuesdays at the church here as well. But the city of Dothan is found in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 13. You want to just dive with me there, 2 Kings chapter 6? page uh, 214. And in this, uh, in this city of Dothan, what's happening here is that the Syrians have surrounded Israel. And remember, they're all scared, and they go to Elisha, and Elisha says this in chapter 6, verse 13. He, he spoke to God, and he said this, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him, he was told, and behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city, in verse 14, inside there inside the city of Dothan. This is where they've been surrounded. And he prays to God, and he says, God, save the Israel, Israel from Syria. And he does, and he sends this army and chariots, and all sorts of great things happen. The other occasion that Dothan is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 37, verse 17, page 22 in your Bibles in the pew, but Genesis chapter 37. So if you dive there as well, Genesis chapter 37 and verse 17. Joseph has told his brothers about his dreams. His brothers are a little bit upset. Even his father's a little bit miffed about it. But here in verse 17 it says, And the men said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And what ends up in Dothan is that he ends up being sold into slavery. And I'm sure that he prayed to God, just like Elisha will centuries later pray to God in the city of Dothan and ask God to be able to be with him. And yet he is in slavery, captured, held in prison, and all sorts of disasters happen until he is eventually released and he has found a way to be able to live what God has called him to do. What God is saying is this, I am with you always. You pray and I am connected to you always. Sometimes it may look like I'm not there, and sometimes it may look like I am there, but I am there always with you. Sometimes, though, we struggle with this idea, and so we, we ask ourselves, where does it actually drive us? And this is the third question that we have here. What has driven or still drives you to a time of intense prayer? And we will do this in chapter 1, verses 20 to 12 to 26, the end of this chapter here. They're going to enter into a time of serious prayer because they need to choose their leaders. We're going to start that process really soon now uh, with the nominating committee. And I know you're all excited because the nominating committee is a fun committee. It lasts about two years. Um, so it's, it's a great place. And we're going to vote all the leaders on Tuesday night at that meeting that we're going to have here as well. So I encourage you to come so you can vote with that. But here's the thing. We actually need to engage everybody 
in the community, every partner with us, in some role, some way that you can take the talents that God has given you and actually use it to be able to share the gospel, to live the gospel. So we really want you to be connected with this. And if you haven't, if you're like thinking about maybe I'm a member here, maybe I'm not, you want to transfer your membership or you want to become a member, you can just fill in the connect card, okay? Put your name inside here. You can put it in the offering altars when you put your tithes and your offerings inside there. We have offering altars at the back and one at the front here, and I encourage you to do so. This will help us when it comes to nominating committee to make sure that we can make sure not just five people are doing everything, but everybody together are lifting up the work together. Well, in this passage here, it's a great passage. They end in a time of prayer, which we will do as a nominating committee too, and we'll spend time in prayer thinking about what God has called this church to. They had 12 disciples. They lost one. Judas had died, and they needed another one. To start this story off properly, they wanted to have all 12. When the disciples start to die off as disasters take off later on, they don't replace them. They only did it at the beginning. And they do this and they pray about this. And I love how the Bible tells you the story in, in verse 23 here. It says this, and they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was, called, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. They don't say anything about Matthias. They tell you everything about the other guy. Which in the Bible, traditionally, what does that do? That tells you something important is about to happen. It's an indicator that this must be the person they're going to pick. Then they prayed to God and said, God, you know what's in the heart. And they cast lots. The very last time they ever cast lots is right here. Because after this, the Holy Spirit's going to come and will guide them through the decision process. And they end up choosing Matthias, the one that nothing was said. And I think what's beautiful about this is because it's trying to tell us this. We have ideas of who should be leaders. We may even talk about who should be a leader. And then God looks at the heart and says, this is who should be a leader. And surprises you through the entire process. So I want you to be surprised when we come and call you to be a leader. And you say, yes, that's what you should do. Just FYI, if we ask you, just say yes, it's not hard. We won't ask you more than 15 rolls each. It'll be fine. It's all good. But that's what takes place inside here. They actually go for it, and they choose this other guy, and because God understands what's inside there. There's no jealousy. There's no complaining. There's no, like, I'm upset about not being picked for this. It literally just goes ahead, and they're collected. And then we get to chapter 2. And this is where we dive into what we refer to as Pentecost. But Pentecost was a very normal thing for many people in that time as well. Pentecost basically meant 50 days that took place after Passover, after they had the Exodus meal, after they left Passover and they exited, they went to Mount Sinai and they received the law. That's what took place. So watch the parallel inside here. Moses ascends the mountain and comes down with the law and gives it to them and asks that they write this in their heart and in their minds. Jesus ascends to heaven. The Spirit comes down and the Spirit says, the gospel truth, the law that has always been the same from the beginning to the end, I give to you that it's in your heart and in your mind. The same thing is taking place between this. They understood this, and they love this balance between the two, except for, in this case here, there is the imagery of all the fire and the flames coming down. And you may think, that's kind of freaky. But when you understand the culture of the time, and you understand the stories of old in Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham stands and there's, God appears as a blazing torch, in Exodus where you've got the burning bush, when you've got the pillar of fire at night, in Ezekiel chapter 1 where he talks about the fire within the fire, all of these fire things are symbols that they understand. So when the fire comes down, they're not frightened by it, they're not scared by it, they're just empowered by it. 
And they realized that actually this is where the gospel is going to take place. And then comes question number four. What is the significance of people from all over the Mediterranean region hearing the disciples speak each in their own native language? And you may think to yourself, hey, this is pretty straightforward, I understand this, but let me give you a contrast here. Islam teaches this, that if you want to understand the Quran, you have to read it in Arabic. Any translation of the Quran in any other language other than Arabic is wrong and therefore will never be true of what Islam teaches. Christianity, on the other hand, is a total reversal of that idea. It says this, I'm going to translate the gospel from the language of Hebrew or Greek into any language you need, and you will understand what it is to be saved, and you will understand what God has called you to and what you are to share in any language. And that day, God sends them down the Spirit, and the Spirit makes them speak all of the languages, and they understand exactly everything. In fact, some people have said that it is a reversal of Genesis chapter 11. You remember the story in Genesis 11? The Tower of Babel takes place inside there because they have pride, and they're going to be above God, and they're just trying to fight everything. God says, oh, I'll divide all of them with languages. But then in Acts chapter 2, all the languages are returned, but this time they understand the messages together. They're able to understand each other. It's a restoration taking place all the way through. God is saying, I'm bringing you back. Now, a little side note here in verse 13. This is always an interesting verse, and some people pick up a little bit on this, but the last verse of the passage that I had for this morning was this. It says in verse 12, I'll start off there, and they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And verse 13 of chapter 2. But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. They're filled with new wine. This is not old wine. This is new wine. New wine has fermented, but hasn't fermented as long as old wine, clearly, because new wine could make the bag explode, but that's what's taking place here. But here's the thing. Wine, alcohol, a spirit of some sort. This has the ability to make you happy for most personalities. That's why people drink it, right? I drink a little bit of wine. I feel a little bit happy. That's what people do. Not all personalities. Some people drink wine and alcohol, and they should not because it just really does affect them in a different way. But some people just feel really happy with it. Of course, it also reduces all your inhibitions. So you feel kind of brave and capable of doing things, things that you normally wouldn't do. The difficulty is that it actually suppresses your nervous system. It's a depressant. And because it suppresses your central nervous system, it affects your judgment. So when you have no inhibitions, and no judgment, you start to make decisions that maybe you shouldn't make. Hence, it's not good for you. So it makes you kind of a stupid joy. You get that? All right, it's kind of like a stupid joy. It's like, hey, that's dumb. And that's what wine does, right? Now, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, hey, brings joy to you no matter what your personality is like. You could be one of those grumpy people. You could be one of those happy people. But the Spirit will bring joy to you no matter what. It also reduces your inhibitions. And then you're able to share things that you wouldn't normally. You actually can go to people and say to them, I, I actually like God, and I want to share God with you, and I have no embarrassment about this, no inhibitions about it. I feel perfectly fine with this. And it's a stimulant, not a depressant. It actually makes your mind work faster and clearer so you know what you're able to do. It gives you the creativity the ability, and the power 
so that you're able to create things and do things that God has called you to. So what do you want? Do you want the intelligent joy or the, the other type of joy? The intelligent joy or the other type of joy? And God is saying, I have doused on you, on anybody who wants it, the intelligent joy 